If you could grab a Bible and turn to Luke chapter 8, which is page uh, 1037. Luke chapter 8, and starting at verse 22. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where's your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, I have to admit that, uh, actually, Nick, you know the photograph that John had right at the beginning of his psalm of the wind and the waves? There, brilliant. We could just leave that up because that will remind us a little bit of the, of the image uh, world of uh, this evening's passage. Uh, but I admit that last night, um, having had a day away, we got back um, far later than we were supposed to because we got stuck behind an accident on the motorway and... Uh, uh, our little boy was really not happy and wouldn't go down. And, of course, he's had a couple of rotten nights. We are loving parenthood, just to be very clear. Um, uh, but certainly last night, we were feeling the burn. Um, and uh, I said to Miriam, I said, I can't quite believe I have to preach tomorrow. I don't know where I am going to find it. And, of course, you're the ones who bear the brunt of that because it's the end of the day. So you can be the judge of whether or not um, it was a mistake for me not to just bring Richard up and get him to do it. Um, but you probably know that feeling um, when there's something approaching uh, that you just feel uh, is beyond you. Something towers over you um, and uh, um, you have that sinking feeling that it's beyond your control. There's nothing you can do with it. Um, some of you know that I've had my own battles with anxiety um, and, uh, and in that state those things take on this sort of dark interpretation you're even more aware of a sense of waves crashing on you um, and a, a big part of this passage is about the idea that God steps into those places uh, in our defence. Um, now, of course, it's a very familiar passage, um, and if I was to say, well, what's the point of the passage? Uh, I suspect that most of us would be able to tick the box that says, God is really powerful. End of story. Um, and in some ways, that's, that's kind of the, the main point. Um, and in terms of how it functions in Luke, um, that is the first point um, this is the, at this point we're moving towards this big moment uh, in the book of Luke. Um, it's a, if, you, if you're at the end of our reading, then the opposite corner of the double page, you have uh, chapter 9 um, and verse 18. Uh, uh, Jesus asks the disciples, who do the crowds say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others. That one of the prophets from long ago has come back to life. What about you? Uh, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, the Christ of God. Um, 
this is one of the big things that's going on in Luke, uh, is that, the, that, that he is trying to show you why you can be certain that Jesus was, in fact, the Christ, the Messiah, this king that was going to come and restore all things. And in some ways, this story, uniquely above, above all the others in some ways, um, is the clincher. Jesus must be the Messiah because of this. Um, now, you can imagine, I don't want to dumb down the stories about healing and even raising from the dead and uh, uh, casting out demons and all these other stories that go on uh, in the Gospels. Uh, of course, um, you know, those are front and center in terms of how we understand who Jesus was and what he came to do. But this story is unique um, insofar as, for all of the other ones, there were at least stories going around about other sort of heal- miraculous healers and so on that were doing amazing things. Uh, there are no other accounts that we can find in the ancient Near East of a human using his superpowers to calm a storm. That is a whole different kettle of fish. Um, and as we look at it, you'll see uh, why that is. Um, we're left with this uh, strong starting point of Jesus is powerful. But is that enough? Um, Are we satisfied with that? I think that Luke is looking for something a little bit more transformative. Um, I don't think we're particularly swayed by facts and figures like Jesus is powerful. I don't think that's going to transform your week. Uh, But if we really dig into the story and the emotive content of it, then I hope that something uh, a little bit more transformative will come to the surface. Um, you You missed that, didn't you? You missed that? Come to the surface? Oh, gosh. Um, okay. Forget the jokes. Uh, that, was, that was an ad lib as well. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know if, this, if the feeling, if this picture that's up on the screens uh, evokes anything for you. I don't know if you've ever been in a boat where the waves are just a little bit bigger than you'd hoped they'd be. Um, and you just feel like it's going to tip over. Um, or maybe you've been swimming and a really big wave comes in and you can see this thing bearing down on you. There's nothing you can do. Um, uh, I don't know if you have any sense. Maybe you've just been caught in a, a current that suddenly pulls you out to sea. Um, uh, uh, or a wave that just crushes you into the sand. I've had a couple of those when I've been body surfing. I've, I float pretty well, so I'm pretty good for body surfing. But every now and then, you realize how awesome the power of the sea is. Um, Luke is tapping into some of the fear that we might think of uh, of, in terms of drowning or being thrown into dark and murky waters. And we're going to spend a bit of time trying to recapture the imaginative world of that, um, trying to re-experience the story beyond the sort of proposition of Jesus is powerful. Um, And we'll also ask... What does this mean for me? Uh, how is this story going to affect mid-morning tomorrow um, beyond this idea of evidence that Jesus was the Messiah? Um, if you have been with us from the beginning of our, uh, the book of Luke, uh, you might remember um, that in the first place, as we've already mentioned, Luke's concern is to give us confidence that Jesus is in fact the Messiah. Uh, but he is also concerned to show us what that means. If he is the king then part of uh, his purpose is to show us what that kingdom, what that reign is going to look like. Um, 
And we're going to explore that in three different directions. Uh, Firstly, again, there's simply this idea that Jesus has authority over all things. Secondly, therefore, that Jesus goes with us into the darkest corners of uh, our world. Um, And thirdly, that amidst the storms that we might experience, he calls us into stillness. So that gives you an overview of where we're going. Um, So firstly, just a few more moments on the authority of Jesus in this passage. Uh, because it's easy to think, okay, well, he's powerful enough to stop the winds and the waves. That's, I mean, that's pretty insane already, but there are some very profound associations that go in the background uh, with this story, with all of this imagery in the Bible of water, especially chaotic water, storms and floods and um, seas and, uh, and so on. And some of you know that actually this is a bit of an obsession of mine. Um, and so uh, some of you might have heard a couple of bits that I'm going to say already, so I'm sorry about that. In fact, even just a few weeks ago when I was preaching about baptism, we looked a little bit at the imaginative associations of water. Um, but just a couple of things that will help you give a little bit of a, get, get a little bit of a framework. Firstly, that, that water, the sea, uh, was actually the place of ultimate death. Um, All of the ancient Near Eastern creation stories start uh, with chaotic water, the primordial soup. Then something solid uh, becomes uh, visible. So a pyramid is in fact that. It is symbolic of that to the Egyptians, that first solid land that comes up out of of the sea. Um, And, of course, we have in Genesis 1, the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So water functions as as this pre-creation chaos. It functions as uh, the place where God's creative presence is not felt. Um, And, in fact, beyond that, it has these deeply malevolent overtones in, in all sorts of ancient Near Eastern mythology, um, you have gods of the waters that are, that are depicted as dragons. Um, so uh, the Babylonians had Tiamat, the Canaanites had uh, Tanin, the Egyptians have Rahab, um, and even the Hebrews, uh, really, Leviathan um, functions like that, if you've spotted Leviathan. Uh, often it gets translated as the whale or something like that, but really it's about this sort of mythical sea monster uh, that, that is part of the sort of pantheon of gods in some ways. Now, I'm getting into hot water, I know, but we can chat about that afterwards if I've, um, if I've thrown you a, a curveball there. Um, uh, but there is this sense uh, that the sea, especially violent sea, is really the place where there is an evil god, dragon, churning up the waters in battle. Um, and in most ancient Near Eastern mythology, this, this dragon god is defeated, uh, defeated by another god, often a storm god or you know, another watery-oriented god. You can see how this stuff got under their skin. Um, let me read you a little extract from some Babylonian mythology about Marduk, the storm god, defeating Tiamat, the sea dragon. Um, 
Then the Lord Marduk raised up the flood storm, his mighty weapon. He mounted the storm chariot, irresistible and terrifying. He harnessed and yoked it to a team of four, the killer, the relentless, the trampler, the swift. Sharp were their poison-bearing teeth. They were versed in ravage, skilled in destruction. Then they describe the battle between these two. And at the end, it says that Marduk split her open like a shellfish. Um, And in this great victory, Marduk is crowned king of the pantheon of Babylonian gods. Now, um, notice with that as a a background, uh, that there's a feel of Psalm 18, for example. Let me read you a couple of bits from Psalm 18. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. Yahweh parted the heavens. This is Yahweh's um, rescue. He calls out to Yahweh. And Yahweh parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him. The dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advanced. With hailstones and bolts of lightning, the Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. Um, and eventually the, the rescue is complete it, Yahweh reached down from on high he took hold of me and he drew me out of deep waters Yahweh the storm god uh, defeating the dragon and in fact the exodus story uh, which is the sort of defining story of the Israelite people which happens uh, right back at the beginning of their history uh, is also understood in these kinds of terms. So uh, this, this slave people have escaped from Egypt um, and they come to the sea. And uh, they are trapped between the, the chaos of the sea in front of them and the chaos of Pharaoh's army fast approaching behind them. Um, and as you know, the, the sea opens, they go through on dry land and then it closes over the uh, armies of Pharaoh. Um, and there are all sorts of associations in there that evoke these other ancient Near Eastern mythologies that in, in this moment he defeats the sea dragon, he splits open Tiamat um, and, uh, and he is crowned king um, as, as a result. Um, and actually a big part of the Old Testament is asking the question, if that's true, if he's been crowned king of the pantheon, Why don't we experience life that way? Um, Listen to this in Isaiah 51. Awake, awake, arm of the Lord. Awake, as in the days gone by, as in generations of old. Was it not you who cut Rahab to pieces, who pierced that monster through? Rahab is the Egyptian gods. It's talking about the sea. Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, uh, who made a road in the depths of the sea so that the redeemed might cross over? Yahweh, if this is you, save us. Why can't we feel you? Um, And so all of this sits in the imaginative associations of this little group of disciples in this boat being swamped by the storm. Um, And of course, I know that sounds all a little bit crazy. The question is, of course, did did they believe in Marduk and Tiamat? Did they believe in all of this stuff? Um, and I, I would say, I'm going to sidestep that question, in fact, and say whether they did or not, it would have created 
strong imaginative associations. I, I want you to imagine, this is, I mean, this is a little bit, I'm asking you to imagine feeling a certain way. Imagine that there is, uh, you'd seen a film about the Loch Ness Monster, and it had just been really well produced, and you had that sort of fear of the Loch Ness Monster, the real Jaws feeling. Um, uh, imagine that if you're having just watched that film, you were taken out into the middle of Loch Ness and thrown into the water at midnight. You don't believe in Nessie, but I bet you'd feel a tingle of fear. I bet you'd lift your feet up just in case you were trying to drag it out, yourself out of reach. That's the nature of the imagination, isn't it? Whether or not we believe uh, some of these ideas, they create the imaginative associations. So all of this uh, violent ancient Near Eastern mythology creates something of a backdrop to these disciples sat in the boat. And Luke knows this. Um, did you note uh, that he, um, he refers, as he, as he deals with the storm, he deals with it by rebuking it. And of course, commentators go backwards and forwards. Is, is this a personification of the storm? Is this, is this him rebuking the, the, the dragon? Um, and uh, they go different ways on it. Um, but I think there's an element of that um, going on, especially because it picks up on very similar language to the Psalms when they talk about Yahweh rebuking the Red Sea back in the Exodus story. Um, but of course, the profound thing about it is that while in all of this ancient Near Eastern mythology, there were these huge battles uh, uh, after which somebody was crowned king. Here, Jesus stands over the storm, he rebukes it, and the beast is done away with. This extraordinary sense of this power beyond any of the pantheons of any of the gods of the ancient Near East. So Jesus has authority. But my goodness, it's an authority that goes beyond the natural world. It's an authority that is over the spiritual realm, a route beyond any of the ancient stories that anyone knew, apart from, obviously, maybe Yahweh in the Exodus. So secondly, part of what that means is that Jesus, therefore, goes with us into the darkest corners of our lives. Uh, there is nowhere where he is not king. Um, if you were very shrewd, you might have noticed uh, that Luke is also evoking another story. He's evoking the story of Jonah, fast asleep on his cushion in the boat as it is getting swamped. Now, in the story of Jonah, uh, just to give you uh, a reminder, he's told to go to Nineveh, this people who have actually been persecuting uh, the Israelites. They're, this is a miserable bunch of people to be sent to, to declare uh, Yahweh's rule over them as well. And, and, of course, he's not going to do that. So he runs in the opposite direction, and he gets in a boat, and off to sea he goes. And out in the sea, uh, he experiences God's mastery of the sea, uh, Yahweh creates this storm and, the, and he knows that the only way that the storm can be stilled is by him being thrown in the water. And then what happens? The dragon comes along and he is three days in the belly of a fish evoking all of this Tiamat and all that kind of stuff. And he's deposited back on the beach. Um, 
And of course, at that point, he goes to Nineveh because he's learned the lesson that God is the God of all things. He is the God of the entire natural world, even, these, even the sea, which is beyond, beyond the creation, creative presence of God, is actually his. And therefore, so are the people of Nineveh. In Luke's terms, this is the first time that the disciples and Jesus have had a foray outside of Galilee, this safe, properly Jewish area. To go to the east side of the lake uh, was to enter a Hellenistic Jewish area. So this is, a, this is an area full of Jews who have sold out to Greek culture and to the Roman Empire. Um, they have turned their back on uh, the, their faith. And um, the disciples would have viewed them with some suspicion. Um, and therefore, as Jesus says, we're going to go over to the other side of the lake. This is the moment when he shows them why that's an important and valid thing to do. As he sleeps on his cushion um, and the whole Jonah story is evoked, he sends the disciples beyond Galilee. He shows that in his mastery over the the, uh, natural world of the sea, he is also master of the east side of the sea, of uh, of, uh, all peoples everywhere. He is the rightful king uh, over everyone, everyone that you are going to meet this week, every encounter that you have this week. He is the rightful king. And that means simply, thirdly, that... Amidst the storms that you experience, uh, Jesus invites you into stillness. As I mentioned, I've had my own battles with anxiety. um, And uh, you could could almost describe anxiety as allowing the chaos outside to fill your heart. That's not a medical uh, definition for a moment. But that's a little bit like uh, the, the choice that you have. Uh, when, uh, when you are feeling anxious? Will I become like uh, the storm? Uh, it is easy to embrace emotionally uh, the chaos that uh, is threatening us. Um, that sense of being out of control. Uh, it's easy to end up anxiously thrashing about uh, to save ourselves. But actually, Jesus calls us to have faith He turns to the disciples and says, why do you let this chaos into your hearts when you have me in the boat with you? Again, this is, uh, he's drawing on all of this uh, uh, imagery throughout the Old Testament. Um, Going back to the Exodus story, as the people are trapped against the sea, Uh, on one side and with the Pharaoh's army approaching from behind and they cry out to God very much like the disciples do here. Um, The message that comes back is this. Yahweh will fight for us. We need only be still. And you see this constant tension in the Psalms, this battle for stillness, you might say. Uh, Psalm 69 Uh, says this, it starts, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. 
I am worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. And yet, as the psalmist dwells on his inclusion in the plans of a loving God, he finds peace. Um, And he finds himself saying, I will praise God's name in song and I will glorify him with thanksgiving. He finds in the reality of this God who is king over all things, um, ability to be peaceful amidst the chaos. I'm going to read you a a bit of another psalm, Psalm 46. Um, And I'd love you to treat this as a prayer. So maybe just think for a moment about what are the, what are the, the threats that tower over you? What are the things that make you anxious? Uh, what are the things uh, where you feel there's no control and you just long for God to do something? What gives you that sick feeling in the pit of your stomach as you think about the week that is to come? God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Lord Jesus, you see um, every storm that each one of us is facing. Um, And it feels in so many uh, of these storms that you are asleep in the back of the boat. Um, We are having to... uh, shake your shoulder to wake you up. But I pray that somehow you would instill in us a sense of your, your uh, unrivaled authority over all things, that we would know that you are king, and we would know that that kingship goes into every corner of the lives that we live and the places that we go. And that you would enable us uh, to live with a posture of stillness in our hearts that has faith in you.